Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Vela News Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Delaney, here in deepest, darkest winter in Boulder, Colorado. But we're talking happier, sunnier days with our man, Andrew Hood, coming to us from Spain. Andy, how are you, sir? Good, Ben. Just back from the Ruta del Sol. I had a nice week of uh, sangria and gazpacho and some bike racing. All the good things in life. So we, today's show, we've got a couple things. We've got five Ruta revelations from Andy being there on the ground through the five-day stage race. And then the back half of the show, Andy is interviewing Pat McCarty uh, from the team formerly known as Rally Cycling, now Human Powered Health, talking about what's coming up for the team in uh, 2022. But first, let's let's talk Spain. You're finishing up your your lunch of muscles there. The absence makes the heart grow fonder. I haven't been to Europe for a while. So t- what was what was uh, some of your highlights from being at Ruta this year before we get into the the big pieces? Like, what was it like just being at the race? Well, I guess the, the big takeaway was just being back at the race. It was almost seemed like a normal race. You know, we've had two years of COVID uh, lockdowns. We couldn't go to the team buses. The media was usually stuck in these little press boxes. So just uh, being able to roam around and talk to sport directors and mechanics and soigneurs and team managers, you know, that was, I mean, some of these people had not even seen in person in two years. So that was probably the most refreshing thing. Um, you know, this whole situation in Europe is kind of getting better. We all, everyone's still masked up and you're supposed to be socially distancing still, but uh, slowly but surely getting back to reality. And plus, uh, down in southern Spain, you know, the sun shines every day. It's cold overnight. It's kind of like Colorado, you know, it'll be down to around zero at night. You gotta, and then one thing about Spanish hotels down there, they don't have heating and they don't have uh, <laughs> blankets in the hotel room. So yeah, it's like camping overnight. BYOB. Yeah, bring your own sleeping bag. But then once you wake up and, uh, you know, you get the cafe con leche with some churros ahí in the, in the patio and uh, the sun comes out and everybody's pretty happy. Yeah, I was just you know, looking at the photos, you know, riders are already getting tan and they've got, you know, the, the caking of sweat, like the, t- the sweat tie-dye on the jerseys and the, and the bibs. You can tell it's, it's, it's warm and they're going hard. Now, let, let's, let's jump into your five revelations from Ruta. Magnus Sheffield, uh, an American on Ineos Grenadiers, came out swinging uh, with some impressive performances. Uh, what, what did you see from, from Magnus and what did he have to say about his preparation and his results there at Ruta? Yeah, Ben, I mean, this, this kid's the real deal. Um, his first race with Ineos was at Bessege uh, a week or so ago before uh, Ruta. And uh, when I spoke to him, just uh, I think it was the second day, um, you know, he had the 21, number 21 uh, race bib. His race number was kind of the designation of the team captain. Because normally the number one of every uh, roster kind of is the guy that everyone's riding for. And I'd asked him about that. And he said, oh, I kind of laughed it off and said, no, no, that, that's just coincidence. You know, we got experienced guys here, Cameron Worth and uh, Puccio. And, and they were riding for uh, Navarez and some of the other guys for the GC. But it really turned out that uh, the team is really has a lot of confidence in uh, Magnus. And man, he delivered a huge stage win, uh, jumped off the front of the, the pack there, kind of in a, those grinding uphill finales, and uh, you know, held off for the chasing peloton, held off a guy like you know, Simon Clark, an experienced World Tour pro, uh, hands high, man, for the stage victory. Then two days later, on the Sunday stage, finished at a very steep 
mountaintop, hilltop village in Andalusia, you know, just a classic kind of setting, uh, really brutal final 2Ks and, of the climb. And, and it took in a Leonard Kamna, a world tour pro uh, Tour de France stage winner. You know, he said he had to put everything into it. And I asked him, I go, who was the, who was the guy in the breakaway that you're most fearing? And he said, Sheffield. So, you know, really impressive in, in this race. Just 19 years old, he is just getting started at the World Tour level. It's been fun to see. And he's heading over to, uh, he's going to be doing some of the early classics here. We've got the opening weekend coming up, and he is now at least scheduled to race at uh, Omloop at Newsblad and then Kern, Brussels, Kern there. So be exciting to see where he goes this early season. Andy's Ruta revelation number two. Altitude camps have always been a thing, headed to, uh, you know, Tenerife, headed to the islands for some sunshine and some good riding have, have always been a thing that the pro riders have done. Are they, are we seeing more of that this year or, or is that just uh, another coming out of COVID thing that, that teams are getting together on the islands? We, you know, we saw some uh, big results from, from Wout Poles, who he was attributing to uh, his success to training on the volcano. Yeah, but it's interesting. Um, you know, Tede, it's, it's like the, it's the highest point in Spain. It's an island, the Canary Islands. They're off the coast of Morocco there, down in kind of the South Central Atlantic. And, uh, you know, it's absolutely towering volcano, um, 12,000 feet, um, you know, higher than any point in the uh, Iberian Peninsula, higher than the Pyrenees or the Sierra Nevada. Mm. And, uh, you know, riders have been going there for quite a long time now. Um, I think 20 years ago, people started going there and, and working altitude into their training before, you know, going to, uh, well, even before that, before going to the major races. But what what is interesting is it's not just this year, but over the last several years, really, is how much more altitude training is is part of a World Tour Pro's calendar and how much more teams are spending on those camps. I know uh, Byron uh, Victorious, you know, they had five, six guys up there. So typically you need a mechanic with them. You might have a Swanee. You might even have a sport director and a follow car. So it's a big commitment financially because there is a hotel up there on the crater. It's quite spectacular. It's, it's almost uh, snow covered this time of year. And, uh, you know, so they're sleeping at maybe 11,000, 11,500 feet. I'm not quite sure the exact elevation of the of the of the parador they call it the hotel and uh you know so they ride down the volcano they'll do their you know do their laps and they'll come back up every day and uh they were up there for almost three weeks and that was only by ron i mean uh wout pools said he thought the whole quote he said the quote the whole peloton was up there lutsenko was up there with some astana boys i mean lutsenko what's happening is curious is they coming off altitude straight into racing straight into results uh, Lutsenko won that uh, gravel race at the Classica Jaén uh, Paraíso Interior, they called it. Uh, that was that new gravel race. First race of the year, boom, you know, he, he wins uh, that, that pretty hard out effort. And then Wild Pools was basically tipping his hat to uh, altitude saying, that really gave me the edge. But then there's the other side of that equation is, is that, you know, riders still need that speed and that kind of uh, those accelerations that come with racing. So, um, but it was it was interesting to see because I was even talking to some of the uh, classics riders. Seb Van Mark said he's uh, working in altitude camps into his training uh, preparation for the classics. Peter Sagan has been doing altitude for years ahead of the classics. So it's not just the GC guys, you know, it's the classics guys 
before Perry Bay. They're all, you know, so if you want to hang out with cyclists, go to Teyue. <laughs> You'll see pros, guaranteed. Yes, not a, not a bad place to ride a bike in addition to the physiological benefits you get there. And and certainly, do, you know, doing the climbing on the bike helps climbers, helps any riders doing that type of work. But, you know, one of the primary benefits of staying at altitude is the increase in hematocrit, you know, boosting your red blood cell count. And that, again, helps all types of riders, whether you're a, a skinny climber or you're a, a, a bigger classic rider. So that's it's, it's certainly uh, multiple benefits to hanging out on the volcano for a few weeks. And now proofs in the pudding in the results sheets. Another Ruta revelation, some some tweaks to uh, not just physiology, but to some, some bike gear. Andrew Hood, tech reporter on the scene there in Ruta del Sol. You talked to Rune Harrogatz for... Uh, Sport Flander and Balois team um, who jumped ahead for a stage one victory. And he was saying that was no fluke. I've been, been working on that for, for months. What was, uh, and you did, you did a fun story on, on like the timeline dating back months. So, so walk us through Rune's thinking in, in coming into this race with, with a plan to win. Yeah. I mean, Ben, you know, it's uh, these smaller teams trying to compete against the world tour. I mean, it's almost like a David versus versus Goliath struggle. Um, you know, really for if, if a guy like that might win once or twice in an entire season. So it was interesting talking to him. He, he was a funny kid. He's, I think he's 23. I think this was his second pro win, you know, probably, you know, if he does this again, I'll probably end up on a world tour team next year. And that's always the hope of these guys. You know, it's there's still that path for younger riders to go U23, go to kind of a pro Conti second tier team, and then bounce to the world tour. Even though that these days, you know, the world tour teams are signing all these junior riders, you know, Magnus Sheffield, 19 year old kid, uh, just like uh, uh, Quinn Simmons, you know, getting signed right out of the junior ranks into the world tour. We're seeing that more and more. As the as the world tour teams are just uh, poaching these young riders, um, you know, basically seeing that their numbers are so good, looking at their Strava numbers and their power numbers, it's like he's going to be good. Let's sign him. But there's still that road, that pathway for uh, traditional way through the lower teams. And so Runa, you know, he he kind of like knew he was going to Ruta del Sol, so he started studying the route. You know, once he saw the the road book, and he was like saying, okay, well, what day do we think? that a breakaway will have any chance at all to make it to the finish line. So the way the profile was written this year, it was stage one. And uh, he also talked about how even a couple of weeks before the race, he was uh, pinging uh, his teammates saying, hey, this is the day we want to win the stage and I want you to be with me in the breakaway. So they're already kind of plotting a strategy a couple of weeks before. But what was really interesting was at the finish line, you know, we saw his bike, right? the bike is just hanging around there. And then now that the press can get back into these areas, I'm just sticking my nose in there looking at his bike. And I go, man, those are like almost like time trial wheels. And that's like a really funky looking handlebar. And, uh, you know, Ben, you kind of picked up on some of the photos I took there. Um, you know, what was the setup there? It's like a, a 36 millimeter width uh, handlebar. And he only raced it that day because he knew that was the day he wanted to be arrow. Yeah, it was. Yeah, super skinny handlebar. Uh, made by Data Alanera, and then his DI2 shift levers he had cocked way in so that, he, yeah, you know, we need to back up a bit. You know, UCI banned 
what's been called the puppy paws position or the praying mantis position, the position in which you, you can, uh, you put your forearms on the tops of the handlebars, you know, trying to replicate that time trial position of reducing your aerodynamic drag, bringing your shoulders in, bringing your forearms in, you know, smaller frontal shape means more speed, right? So that was banned on, you know, true to UCI form on April 1st of last year. That was a, can't make this stuff up on April fool's UCI ban went into effect. So some of these breakaway riders, uh, domestiques who ride the front are trying to figure out, okay, how, how can we do the same amount of work? Um, now that that position is banned. Um, so we're seeing more riders run skinnier bars or, or do this trick of, of turning in the, the levers in a little bit, you know, that's probably got to compromise comfort in some ways or, or handling in other ways, but you know, that's, that's what they're, they're going for. And, um, I spoke to, uh, the, some folks at data who make the bar, it's called Alanera. Uh, the bar he had is not, uh, sold to consumers. It was something that was made for at Ridley's request. Ridley's a Belgian bike brand. Uh, Runa is racing on Eddie Merckx. So different, different brand, but that's how he came about. This bar is, is sold on the Ridley Noah fast, which is their aero bike, but Anyhow, yeah, super skinny handlebar with the with the levers turned way in, and then we've also seen riders uh, like Tim Willens, uh, Lada Sudol, another rider, you know, a slightly higher caliber but similar type thing, you know, a guy going for the the breakaways uh, or rolling the fronts, and he for years had would do the puppy paws with the forearms on the on the tops just to get you know narrow his arrow, and so he's got a similar bar setup, skinny bars, uh, levers rolled in. You know, UCI letter of the law is that you can't have your forearms on, on the, uh, on the handlebars. And how do you enforce, how do you exactly measure that? That's, that's a tougher thing than say the super tuck, which was also banned at the same time. And that's, that's pretty visually obvious at a glance. If a writer has his butt on the top tube underneath the saddle, instead of on the saddle, that's, that's a pretty clear black and white line, I think. But with this, there's a lot of gray area. So I, I think. As as a tech guy, it's interesting to see how riders and mechanics are are making these fine tune adjustments. And is that entirely why he won? No, like Runa did the work. Like you know, he's got the horsepower. You know, played the tactics right. Um, but you know, physics and aerodynamics is certainly a part of bike racing. And yeah, neat to see all those those factors come together. So nice work digging that one up, Andy. Glad you were on the ground to to see that one. The last piece, the fifth Ruda revelation. Classics, they are coming. They're around the corner, opening weekend coming up. Our own Saivo O'Shea will be on the ground in Belgium. Uh, many of these riders at Ruda will be in Belgium. Some are looking good. Some maybe not quite as good. What's you know who's who's hot, who's not coming into the coming into the, the Belgian races? Yeah, it's been an interesting uh, a run into the classics. We did see a few early races being canceled. Um, you know, the two down under uh, the, the races in South America. You know, those were races where riders could just kind of go there, blow out the cobwebs, no pressure, and get some of that race speed into the legs. Um, so a guy like Oliver Nason, who I spoke to at the Ruta del Sol, you know, that's, that was his first race of the season. Um, Greg Van Avermaet, another guy we talked to, um, just basically saying that I'm still chasing my form. I hope I get it in time for the Classics. You know, this year there's an interesting wrinkle with Perry Robay being moved back kind of a week extra because the French national elections, the elections in France are held on a Sunday as opposed to a Tuesday so that uh, supposedly more democratic so everyone can go to mass and then go vote. 
because um, they're all Catholics there. Um, but uh, so they've swapped Amstel Gold and Amst and uh, Perry Robay. So it goes Flanders, Amstel Robay. So that kind of extra, you know, it's two weeks between Flanders and Robay instead of the one week. So a lot of riders and a lot of teams are, you know, saying that's actually going to be a pretty subtle but important difference in terms of peaking. Because typically you kind of build up that whole kind of classics block and just ride on vapors across Robay. But now that Robay's two weeks, people are kind of saying, well, maybe come into the season a little bit later. You know, just a little bit. You know, it's such a tricky game there, balancing out trying to just hit that right sweet spot in terms of your form. Um, because you don't want to be hitting your peak form a week after Robay, of course, or hitting it too soon. Um, so guys like Van Avermaet, uh, Nason, Seb Van Mark, some of the other classic guys I talked to at Rue del Sol, they said they're kind of coming into this year a little bit later, so they're kind of a little bit unsure of kind of where they are right now. So that was an interesting kind of some feedback I got from those guys. Mm -hmm. That is interesting having Holy Week broken apart. Because you know the Amstel is such a different race than Flanders and Roubaix. Not that Flanders and Roubaix are identical, but typically the uh, the type of rider, the you know the Fabian Cantillar rider who can win at Flanders can win at Roubaix. Whereas the Ardennes Classics, you know, the the hillier races like Amstel favors a different type of rider. So yeah, I, I could see how you know a rider could aim to be on form for two consecutive weekends, but threes threes starting to push it. You spoke with Pat McCarty, a uh, Longtime bike racer, he's you know his his personal racing career went back to postal service in the you know the mid two thousands and was with Phonak and Slipstream was on Rock Racing the the legendary Rock Racing for a year um, and is now part of the management uh, director sportif at Human Powered Health and uh, you caught up with him there before Ruta del Sol so let's we'll go to that interview now but uh, thank you for the virtual sunshine uh, via the microphone. And uh, what, what else do you have to leave with us before we jump into Pat McCarty? Yeah, just one comment about this uh, chat with Pat. Um, you know, they, they, actually, I spoke to him during uh, Ruda. And actually, I think it was the next day after we spoke, um, one of the riders tested positive for COVID-19. They, they did internal testing within the team. Another rider tested positive. So I think the day after this interview, the entire team left the race. Right. So right. Was, yeah, put that into context when we were talking. <laughs> I think we might have spoken a little bit about how the rest of the race would be going. But but they confirmed to me that they'll be racing uh, later this week in Spain at this new race called Gran Camino. And they will be at the opening weekend in Belgium. And they're very optimistic and, and quite uh, excited about what's in store for 2022. So this real busy first start of the part of the season for you guys uh, coming into 2022. Yeah. Um, almost nonstop racing. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. February, you know, historically February, we always expect it to be busy. We kind of try to come off of a good training camp and just kind of hammer the guys with days. Uh, we also know, at least uh, historically, we know that these races in February, they're, they're highly contested. You know, you have all the big teams split up with their best GC riders and testing the legs out or training for the the classics right so it's it's always tough for us to get results here so we just focus on keeping guys healthy and getting a lot of days in and then uh, as alex explained which is how the world tour races work there's no 
there's very few lower level races for us in March. So that's always been the plan. Hit February super hard. First couple weeks, first half of March rest. And then we build back into an April, May, June that has more races that are more suited to, to get results for us. So, but I mean, already like uh, we had two second places this month in a KOM jersey of Valenciana. So I could say, even though it's been a tr very tricky up and down February, it's probably also been the best one we've, we've ever had in terms of results. So uh, not mm, some to complain about, but not, not too, too much. All things considered, we're, we're in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, the European program has really <clears throat> been set up quite nicely. Um, how do you see it in terms of the team's uh, evolution? I mean, you guys have the service course here. You got all your guys based in Europe now. Yep, yep. Where do you kind of see the team right now? Um, the team is, I kind of see the team is coming through the pandemic, learning a few lessons, and also just being in Europe. Two more years, learning a few lessons. And uh, just with better footing. A lot better footing. We, we had a few key additions uh, behind the scenes with office staff. And then, of course, you know, up front on the road, guys like Alex coming on board, Hendrik Redant. Um, few new riders, few, uh, few step-ups here and there. Uh, more staff, some more vehicles, just little improvements across the board. And we're just getting better at focusing, uh, focusing more on the racing. Because it's uh, so hard to kind of pick opportunities to win, right? Because you have world tour guys who literally parachute into a race and they win their first day back. Or as you mentioned, uh, all the classics guys are flying because their big dates are a month away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, even over the last few years, we sort of, especially after the second half of last year, we ended up having, uh, I think we were second place among the pro Connie teams in terms of numbers of wins. And, and you know, but you look at the UCI points and we're, we're kind of abysmal, but, you know, our philosophy is like, well, where can we compete? What can we do? And and to be honest, little things like the the KOM jersey of Valenciana, going after stage wins, just being scrappy. This has to be our bread and butter. We're just not there yet. We know we're not there yet to compete consistently uh, for stage races, consistently with the upper level Pro Conti teams for UCI points. And to be honest, who like at the end of the day, what do people care about winning? <laughs> so we kind of noticed that from last year. So that's that kind of helped change our philosophy, helped change how we're we're strategizing for the year and. Um, like yesterday was a big opportunity for us and we almost, almost came through. That comes, it's tough, you know, seconds are a hard, hard thing to deal with when, when you know that those opportunities are so, so few far between. We almost, almost had it, but that's, that's what we're doing this year. That's, that's kind of who we are as a team right now. And I uh, hope, yeah, hope to, we can see a lot more of that this year. So you guys almost have the freedom to roll the dice more than say like, you know, these world tour teams we're talking, hearing about yeah, having yeah, to yeah. race for points kind of like it absolutely. was 10 years ago, 20 absolutely, years ago. Absolutely, absolutely. We just kind of let that go. Um, not to say that it's never going to be a priority for us. Obviously, at some point, there's a lot of utility and a lot of value to having consistent uh, UCI points across the season. I mean, absolutely, you can't deny that. But where we're at right now, um, that is actually our luxury. We can just, we can, we can put everything into one or two days of a five-day stage race and, and roll the dice and see what happens. And as we saw last year, man, when, when things go right and, and things line up and the guys are going well, I mean, we had a lot of wins at the second half of the year. Um, really, really big, uh, big results for us. So that's, that's, that's what we're doing again. I mean, what's it like inside the team bus? Is it kind of like David versus Goliath a little bit in the mentality? I mean, you know, you, your racing gets in you, yeah, so it's $45 million yeah. dollar budget. Yeah, ex exactly. You know, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, you, you get out on the bike, and uh, if, if the guys are fit, they're in a good place mentally, it, it's a bike race, you know, and anything can happen. And they know that, and, and, and 
you know, the David and Goliath thing, I think, uh, you know, the higher and higher level stage races we get into, there's, there's just some areas of the sport that we're not reasonably going to be able to compete in, but you know, stuff like yesterday, absolutely. And we know that. And, uh, you know, I think, um, what, uh, what a guy like Alex brings with experience and Hendrick as well, they're already seeing that these guys are quite talented. These are the guys that we have that were like really, really good amateurs, but maybe needed another year or two to develop to get to that world tour level. And so you get a group of guys like this that have the talent, have the ability, and we have an amazing environment. Uh, really, really great team this year. Uh, everybody's happy to be here from the top to the bottom. So you have an environment like that and a support behind these guys, and they just want to go race. Yeah. And we've seen it already a couple times this year. We got we got really, really close, and uh, we're building on that. But uh, David and Goliath, I mean, that's always, yeah. <laughs> there's some battles we're not going to win, so we just kind of don't go there to begin with. But uh, there's a lot there's a lot we can do in the sport with these guys. And uh, as you saw yesterday, you know, there's, there's, there's some cool stuff we can do. Now, we've seen, obviously, in the United States, the racing there has kind of died in the vine, at least in terms of stage racing. Uh, do you guys plan on racing a lot back in the States? I mean, there's not really much to really uh, target there, is there? As, as much as that's reasonable, obviously Nationals, uh, Maryland is going to be a big target for us. We've been, we've been kind of jonesing to, to do some U.S. racing kind of in our backyard, and that one was and still is a big priority for us. Uh, we're going to go there to win it. Uh, Quebec, Montreal is a little trickier just, just with the travel and the costs of everything. I think we've, we've decided we can... Uh, maybe look at things differently there but uh and it's unfortunate about utah because for sure we we would have lined up there and any other big racing that comes back in america we'll we'll, we'll line up for sure we have to we, we want to sure um but yeah for now it's tricky so <laughs> but also it's 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 also helped us really really focus on what we're doing over here and at the end of the day if you can if you can edge closer and closer to the top of the game over here then then that carries over anywhere you want to race now i know um a Grand Tour invitation is something perhaps the team is hoping for someday. Yeah. And a lot of that is kind of jockeying behind the scenes as well, building relationships with the Absolutely. race organizers and getting to know them. Um, realistically, where where is the team right now in terms of that uh, larger goal? Uh, I think we're ready. It's I, I think we're in that weird no man's land where um, I don't think we're going to put everything into pushing for a Grand Tour right away. But if the opportunity comes along, I think we would we would do it, you know? So it's, it's I'm not gonna sit here and say we're ready across the board. This whole organization is to do a three week uh, stage race. Um, but if we got the opportunity, we'd jump on it and we'd make the most out of it. So I, I think in the next year, uh, we will be there. Like I said, already we've had better footing coming into this season than we've ever had in terms of infrastructure organization. And uh, we're still building on that and learning. So, I, I mean, for sure in the next year, we're going to push for one. If something happened this year where crazy, where we, we got an invite, then, then we would just take the opportunity and, and do what we could with it. Yeah, it's tricky yeah. because there's really maybe one or two wildcard spots. Yeah. A lot of teams out there trying to jockey for that position. Exactly, exactly. And it, and it's, it gets a little political, uh, you know, whether, whether the sponsors line up or other interests line up, you know, at the end of the day on the sporting side, I can say that we're ready enough, <laughs> but I don't know that we're ready enough to just, just push, push, push and take it on a hundred percent on our own volition, but we're, we're getting there. We're not far, to be honest, we're not far off. We're really not far off. Yeah, for sure. Now just briefly uh, map out the calendar for everybody between here and the end of the season. So yeah, uh, February, got to get through February. Another two, two, two hard stage races now. 
We got the new race, Grand Camino, and two one-day Belgian races. March is pretty light, but in a good way. Target some one-day races in Italy and Belgium. Then April, May uh, are full of point one and point pro level races that we are targeting to, to win stages, overalls. Uh, Norway's, uh, Greece, Hungary, four days of Dunkirk, Boucle de la Mayenne, uh, races like this. June, we're finally doing a double program in June with ZLM Tour for our sprinters and then Tour de Suisse, which we've done the last couple of years, had some success. July is historically off, we're doing that again. And then August, September are, are, are full full stick. We'll be back at Volta Portugal, which we won two, three stages last year. Back at Tour of Britain, which we won a stage last year. Tour of Denmark, we won a stage last year. Uh, so we're just we're just kind of going with what we know there and, and gonna turn up to to try to repeat or do do better in those races. Um, and we usually end our calendar about mid mid-October. The Perry Tours, Italian one-day races, stuff like this. Good stuff. All right, man. Thanks for the time. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank you. And that will do it for us this week, folks. Thank you for listening. Hope you all have a great week and check in next week for the Bella News Podcast. Mm-hmm.